0: Welcome back to the Socking Tips Nerd Alert Podcast. I'm your host, James Huang, and today we're back with a deep dive episode exploring the latest tech frontier in saddles, 3D printing. The weird-looking lattice-like printed padding is not only lighter than traditional foams and covers, but also freakishly comfortable, partially because there's just so much more padding overall than we're used to seeing on high-performance saddles. Uh, But as good as these things are turning out to be, there are also a lot of questions surrounding them. What exactly is it that makes them so comfy anyway? Why are they so expensive? When, if ever, might we be seeing fully customized versions? Are they really as durable as they're claimed to be? And how are you supposed to claim these things? To help answer all this and more, we've brought on to this week's show some folks from Physique and their development partner, Carbon. Yes, the company is actually called Carbon with a capital C. So without further ado, let's hear what they have to say. Thanks to all of you for being on the show today. Uh, before we get started, I'd like to first ask each of you though to just introduce yourself with your name and title so our listeners know who's doing the talking. Uh, Alex, I guess you're at the top of my screen, so why don't we start with you?
1: Okay, uh, thanks James. I'm Alex Locatelli, I'm product manager for Physic,
0: based in Italy.
2: Yeah, and I'm Kelly Michele Gilbert. I'm a business development director on our application development team.
0: Uh, at at carbon or f- you're at carbon though, right?
2: At carbon, yes.
0: Okay, okay. The first thing I want to know is, uh, I guess, a little bit of background. Um, how did this idea of three D printing a saddle top come about in the first place?
1: Well, um, our idea was to well uh, for for many years actually we investigate something different for providing riders a different kind of comfort. Uh, For for years, we use uh, leather. If you remember uh, Brooks England, one of our brands actually started back in 1866 with the first uh, saddle with a leather uh, construction. And that was a very cool um, idea because uh, you can get a kind of customized saddle in a way, uh, thanks to the leather, because it eventually confirmed to the rider body shape, you know. But for sure, the leather was something that was difficult to mass manufacture, especially for the modern um, b- bicycle, let's say. And in the 50s, the Royal, when started to work on, on saddle here in Italy, as in bring to the market, different kind of innovation, always with the comfort as the main goal of the company. So we introduced many technology. One of the most recent technology was the introduction of the gel. The gel is actually a very democratic solution to provide comfort to, to the cyclists because gel is comfort out of the box. It's not like leather. And then going to the, uh, the, the the most modern day here today for the bicycle industry, we noticed that the 3D printing in general was given to us something that was unexplored before. So in a, in a way, we wanted to combine um, a fit that was provided by a different kind of technology. So we wanted to provide the rider a comfort that was actually comfort in every riding positions. So the 3D printing allow us to have a padding with multifunctional zones. So if you imagine a cyclist on a road bicycle, you have at least three different riding positions. The one with the riders that has his hands on the top of the handlebar, one with the hands on the shifter and one uh, with the hand on the drops. In all those a different kind of uh, riding position, your pelvis rotate more on the saddle in a more aggressive position, in more aerodynamic position. But when you are rotating your pelvis on the saddle, also the part of your body touching the saddle are different. So we know, for example, that our sit bones can support much higher pressure than our soft tissues. But with general foam, you still have the same foam from the nose of the saddle to the back of the saddle. So you cannot work on different support. With this technology, actually, we were able to do that. And since the first uh, project that we did with carbon, we were able to achieve that kind of comfort that previously was unexplored
0: and was impossible to uh, to create. I'm curious, how did this association then between physique and carbon start? So you had this, Alex, you had this idea that perhaps 3D printing could provide a solution for this sort of, uh, I guess, multi-zonal, multi-situational saddle padding that you were talking about. How does that translate into an actual 3D printed thing though? Because I think most people now looking at 3D printing um, Kelly, when I met you at Sea Otter, I remember uh, you had you had shown me some some crazy 3D printed um, Adidas running shoes that you were wearing. I had I actually had no idea that, that you were doing 3D printing in, in running shoes. Um, but I think most people, certainly in the bicycle industry, um, are not used to seeing 3D printing being used for uh, kind of like a squishy compliant material. So how, how did that come about?
1: Yes, the, the main, uh, well, the first idea that we had was, uh, for sure, thanks to the Adidas shoes. So we, as a company, we are also uh, very attentive to the innovation that also other, other industries are bringing to the market. So for sure, Adidas was one of the brands that we were looking for, and we noticed the construction of the midsole uh, manufactured by Carbon. And so we thought, okay, if that can provide cushioning on running shoes, probably will provide cautioning also on the saddle. So that's why we get in touch with Carbon, and then we try to make some samples just to explore if uh, what we uh, imagine actually could uh, be achievable also for the saddle, and then eventually we create a partnership between the two companies.
0: Kelly, I feel like a lot of people are, when they think about 3D printing, they maybe have seen some different forms of additive manufacturing that uh, I think a lot of times it involves like a, Uh, A a raising or lowering platform and you know powdered material and lasers and that sort of thing what exactly does this process look like for this material that you're using at carbon
2: yeah it's a good question and i wish i had a video to show you but definitely worth going to our website to watch so um the way these elastomer materials are printed is uh is this material is initially in a liquid form The way that it works is there's essentially kind of a build platform, which is the piece that the part will adhere to. That platform drops down into that pool of material, that pool of liquid material, and the combination of light and oxygen begins to cure that part. As that part cures, that platform is essentially pulling a solid part out of that vat of material where this, where we spend a lot of time kind of working with customers and talking about some of the advantages is um, we have what we kind of call this continuous flow of material. And that's kind of as part of the printing process, what it's doing is allowing us to print these parts that are fully isotropic in nature. And so they can be used for end use applications. They don't have that kind of fragile effect that you may see with some types of traditional or some types of additive manufacturing and that's why you're starting to see a lot of these products as in-use applications. You're seeing, you know, both parts kind of in our rigid family materials. You're seeing these parts on bikes. You're seeing these in Adidas midsoles, whatever it may be. Um, we're able to print these fully isotropic parts. And so um, these are dual set materials. And so after they kind of come out of the printer, out after that part has kind of been fully printed, They then go into kind of a a bake cycle where they're locking those properties in. So they come off of the printer. They're still in the green state. We will do some sort of post-processing just to kind of get that part ready for that printed printer or that baking process. Um, And then those parts are put in kind of to these kind of UV curable ovens. um, And those properties are then locked in and those parts are then ready for the end user.
0: Okay, and then for the bake cycle, that's when I guess all the final cross-linking happens, and uh, that's that's what keeps it from kind of falling apart under load.
2: That's what's locking in those properties exactly. So you're then setting those properties. That part is is then all those properties are locked in, and then it can be kind of handled, touched, used for kind of end use applications.
0: Okay, so basically magic. All right, that's all settled. <laughs> um, Kelly, how exactly does this three D printing three uh, D printed padding work? Uh, like, what is the actual material and uh, and, and given that it's sort of like a like this 3D lattice form I and mean, people are used to conventional foams where you you essentially just sort of have like this trapped gas in this like kind of like solid polymer matrix sort of thing. So it, how, how does how does the 3D printed structure work for how does it provide padding?
2: Yeah, it's a good question. And it's it's twofold. So it's one, the materials, that's kind of the base of, of what we're talking about today. So it's our elastomer materials, which I can speak a little bit more to but it's also the software side of things. And so the software is really what's allowing us to tune these materials and to create what Alex is talking about these variable density pieces. And so at Carbon, we have a whole suite of proprietary materials. And so um, our focus for this kind of broader uh, premium foam replacement space is using our elastomer materials. And so within that elastomer family of materials, we have uh, energy returning materials and we have energy uh, dampening materials. And so as you start to look at new applications and figure out you know, what is the right material to use based on the desired performance, we'll start to help customers hone in on where to start. That energy returning material, our EPU41 material, is what was used in the Adidas midsole um, and then it's what's used in the bike saddle with Physique that material is kind of the first piece of the puzzle. Um, Once we have that material, those materials are highly tunable. And so then it really becomes, um, do we have the software tools to be able to do exactly what you're saying? So create something that is high performing. And so our design tools, which you'll hear referred to as our design engine or um, our kind of lattice tools, that's what's really allowing us to start to create these really complex lattice parts where each zone is providing a specific benefit to the rider, is providing a very specific uh, performance profile, and has these seamless transitions throughout. And so through that process, through both having the right material, but then having the ability to design and, and take these inputs from from our customers. So taking years and years of rider data and testing feedback and uh, both aesthetic targets, performance targets, the more information we have from our customers, the better these parts are going to perform. It's our it's our customers who are driving the output. And the more these kind of inputs are coming in, the better we can tune these parts to perform in that way.
0: How do you figure out, or I guess how, seeing as how these, these are actually already products, how did you figure out uh, what you wanted to do as far as the like the padding densities and the thicknesses and that sort of thing. do you is it a matter of trial and error, or do you have some sort of pressure mapping data to start with? like how did you how, how did this whole process go?
1: Yeah, uh, well, first of all, we have you know years of experience and databases uh, where we collected uh, data pressure from our riders, being then professional riders or you know age groupers, amateur riders. So actually the experience that we have in the past, in some way could be translated uh, to um, the uh, the program that we use for the software that we use for printing the saddle, depending on the saddle. So for sure the experience of a saddle manufacturer has a big, has a big impact for sure. Initially for us, it was difficult in some way to translate what we Uh, what we have with the pressure to the um, data that we need for the printing. So there was a first phase, initial phase, where we needed to better communicate our experience with the new technology. So for sure, at the beginning, trial and error was important, but eventually it wasn't that difficult to find the right uh, support for any kind of different pressure that you might achieve on the cell
2: and that's the, case, that's the case with how we would start with a lot of our customers. And so some customers, like Physique, have years and years of data to bring to the table. Other customers know that they have taken foam to the limit, and they know that they want to figure out, you know, what comes next? How do we continue to innovate? And so a lot of times, the way that we'll start is we will characterize the foam, the existing foams on our side. We can match that performance using our Lattice Engine tool. And then we'll start from there. And then it is, a, it is a lot of testing and it's a lot of feedback. And the more that a team like Physique can test and take this out and get rider feedback and provide that data to us, the better we're going to be able to iterate and start to see something that is actually a product that will come to market and that will be performing in the way that these customers are looking for.
0: If the material is so tunable, I guess one thing that a lot of our listeners and readers have have been wondering about is... With each of these saddle models that you have you you do have different widths, but you only offer a single i guess padding thickness and stiffness for each uh, for each saddle model. riders however, come in a pretty huge range of body types uh if this stuff is so tunable, why don't we see uh, i guess different versions for different rider weights or like some some other in, some other additional variable to to kind of further fine tune the the comfort level
1: so oh, that's a good question
0: actually um
1: if you think about having kind, different kind of padding tune for body types, uh, I think that could be achievable. Uh, but that probably will be, in a way, what could be already done also in the past with a traditional foam. Uh, if you think about digital foam, what we are calling now our new padding 3D printed, uh, I mentioned before that we create multifunctional zones on the padding. But that multifunctional zones are not created only horizontally but you can do it also vertically so basically we design our padding with a stiffer base and with transition to softer uh, lattices on going on the top so basically with that solution actually you can get one padding that could fit a lot of body uh, body weight and a body shape so actually if your body weight is different from another rider actually you can achieve the same amount of support, the right amount of set, uh, pressure generated by your body on the saddle because you have this kind of transition. And eventually every rider will have the same kind of support. Probably the more weight that you have will uh, push the padding a little bit more than you know rider that are more lighter, but eventually they will get the same amount of support.
0: Do you foresee ever there being a situation where you or maybe even some other company that might be using 3D printed saddles um, might be able to offer a fully customized version? Because, for example, I know um, Specialized, which I think is another uh, partner for Carbon, um, I remember earlier on they were kind of teasing this idea of being able to offer a fully custom saddle based on uh, some sort of like in-store measurement or something like that. Um, is is that something that may actually still see the light of day or do you think it's really just not necessary no to, to be honest is a an, an interest approach
1: and i think that the potentiality of the technology will bring us to offer uh, in a few years probably something that could be more customizable or you know a workflow that will hand up for the rider itself to receive a saddle customized on is a own pressure mapping. That for sure it's possible. Uh, it's something that we actually are researching right now. We think that we have some ideas in mind, but still there are uh, some, I would say, difficulties that we need to overcome to provide the rider the best saddle possible according to their pressure mapping. Um, I just make you uh, a very simple example. What if the rider, for example, go into a bike store and gets its pressure from the bike store and those data are not correct. Eventually you will be printed a saddle, padding that is not matching the expectation of of the customer. So you need to make sure that those data are actually very good. The rider isn't already in a good bike position. Otherwise you are not providing any services. So those are some elements that we needed to sort it out. Otherwise, you are not providing better service than having a saddle, a standard saddle, that still has a very good improvement from a traditional foam saddle. Consider that, for example, with our adaptive saddle, we are already reducing the peak pressure of about 60% compared to the same saddle with the traditional foam. So 60% is already a lot. Um, For sure, customized saddle could also increase the benefit of this technology Still, we need to make sure that those data are very good data. Otherwise, not a good saddle.
0: Like continuing on with the custom thing, one of the things I'm wondering is if you are able to tune the the foam essentially, like the density and thickness and whatnot, with this with this lattice engine that you're talking about, Kelly. Um, how much flexibility do you have in terms of what that lattice looks like to give you the same properties? Like, let you know again, going down this custom road, could you? Could you like, you know, 3D print someone's name into a saddle or like a picture or something on there? Like, could you do all of that and still achieve the same physical properties that you're looking for? Like, how creative can you get? And I'm sort of wondering, like, how much fun have you had in the office doing stuff like this? Like, surely there's stuff in there that just hasn't seen the light of day. (laughs)
2: That is very true. Every time I go into the office, I am pretty amazed by what people are testing and half the time stuff works, and half the time it's a fail. But there are constantly things being tested, everything from, you know, printing with different materials and different colors and things like that. Our, our Our designers, I would say, have a lot of fun in that regard. I like the idea of printing with a picture, a picture of someone. I, I have not seen that one. I'll, I'll 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 let our engineers know they should try that. <laughs> but in terms of kind of, that is a that is a characteristic that we ask really early on is what is the aesthetic target because performance we're looking for customers who have an eye for innovation and a goal to create a higher performing product that is kind of step one which is you know what is what are we doing that is better than your existing materials but a big chunk of that is also the aesthetics and so um we can absolutely print logos on the on different parts and we have done that with some of our customers We also, all of our parts have a QR code on them or kind of a a ID tag that allows us to see exactly uh, where this part was printed, what batch of material it was printed, what printer it was printed on. And so what that allows us is to, if there is ever a kind of issue with one of these parts or something that we need to go back and figure out, you know, why is this different than others? we can track that back to see exactly, you know, what material, what batch of material it was using when it was printed and on what printer. Um, And so that also allows our customers like physique to be able to kind of have a, a, a way of tracking the saddles that are out in the market if there was an issue. Um, But that's, that's, that's a big part of the aesthetics as well. And so as you start to think about, you know, what is this part performs really well, but what does it look like? And do we like the look of it? And so, um, there are a lot of things you can do on that side. And you've seen some parts in the market that have this open cell structure. We have some parts in the market. If you look at like the Riddell football helmet that has a full printed skin so that, um, you know, you don't have that open, open cell structure that's interacting directly with your face. Um, so we have different textures. So you can also choose the texture that you have of the final part. There's different surface finishes you can have. So, For some applications, you may want a more kind of sticky or tacky feelings. For other applications like the saddle, you may want a more kind of soft, smooth surface finish. And so all of these different things can be incorporated either on the design side of things, so in the actual kind of software, or in the post-processing of that part. We have different lattice structures. They all perform very differently. There's a whole kind of suite of lattice structures that you can use You'll typically choose them based on the way you want this part to perform, but there's an aesthetic function as well. And so making sure you know, you're happy with how the final design looks and how you're kind of seeing that in the market, um, these are all really important questions to make sure that the product that you're coming to market with not only performs well, but will also sell well. How do you show that this is a really cool and innovative product? How do you get the end consumer to not just focus on the performance, but also to kind of be happy with how the final product looks.
0: Um, Alex, I've been to the office in Italy, uh, I think a couple of times now actually. And, um, one of the things I remember is uh, I'm assuming it's still there. You, you had this wall of sort of one-off kind of like art, uh, art experiments that you just, all these crazy covering materials and like wild decorations and stuff. Um, when are we at least going to see some other colors for these things? Because it sounds like if there's all this flexibility in what you can do with this, I guess you're calling it digital foam. Um, if there's all this flexibility in what this foam can be, why why are we still only seeing this black and this sort of like crazy, like glow in the dark, but not really glow in the dark material? But by, by the way, speaking of which, um, I, I, I have to admit that the first time I picked up one of those saddles, I truly believed that it was going to glow in the dark and I was a little disappointed that it didn't. <laughs> I'll well, send that talk- idea
2: to our designers as well because I love yes, that idea. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs>
0: yeah. I, I
1: was I was telling the same thing. So this is a question that we gonna gonna have to be asked by Carbon. So we are using the, the lattices that they are providing to us. Currently, we are using the the mind green and the black one. Uh, well, to be honest, the the mind green for us was uh, very good because we want to com- communicate the technology. Uh, when we launched the saddle and that color was in a way, uh, it has an impact in terms of visibility and in terms of the technology that the 3D printed padding uh, will provide to, to our customers. Eventually we switched to black because, you know, mind green is kind of difficult to match to any bicycle colors that you might find while the black could be a better solution for for most of our customers. Uh, I expect that maybe in the future, we might be able to use different colors, but this is up to Carbon to give us the opportunity.
2: Yeah, and I can speak speak to that a little bit. Um, So that is right in this EPU41 material, this energy returning material we're using here. That material comes in a linen green and that uh, black color that you're seeing on the saddles. Um, We are always kind of innovating in that space. Our newest material that is also an energy returning material. So um, you'll kind of start to hear more and more applications talking about a material called EPU-44, which is uh, kind of the next generation of this EPU-41 material. That material will also come in a uh, wonder white and a smoky gray, which which looks almost like a translucent black. So there are other colors um, that you're starting to see. We do also have customers who are always playing with, you know, what can you do to these saddles in terms of, you know, spray coating and and painting post-processing and after these parts have been through the bake cycle. Um, But that's kind of our 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 color options to date are, are in that those four material or those four colors.
0: All right. So I guess we have to wait a little bit, a little bit longer for pink and purple then. All right. Well, um,
2: yeah, pink, purple and glow in the dark. We'll add that to the roadmap.
0: ah, Glow in the dark. That's that's high on my list. (laughs) High on my list. Um, Okay. Um, What about durability? Um, Because is there, I, I can certainly attest from firsthand experience that these saddles are they're stupidly, annoyingly comfortable, <laughs> like, especially considering how much they cost. I mean, they're they're just they're incredibly comfortable, and and we've heard that time and again, not only from within our own staff, but also from other readers and listeners, that sort of thing. Um, but what about durability? Because that is one question that has come up frequently. Um, so, in addition to these things being more comfortable and lighter than traditional foams, is is there a claimed advantage in terms of how long this stuff will last? Um, because we have seen a handful of examples of three D printed saddles now that have kind of uh, where the trusses have almost kind of like just sort of fallen apart after fairly uh, fairly heavy use, so I'm wondering what sort of testing has been done in that area. So also consider that <clears throat> in seller royal quality
1: is you know also one of our main target in terms of uh, all the projects that we have. Traditionally, seller royal is considered. A saddle manufacturer that provide comfort but also the quality the standard of the quality is very high our saddle uh, all our saddle must um, be used for a long time before to be replaced they need to be replaced so also when we introduce new technology for sure we want to test every uh, every aspect of the new technology to make sure that we are achieving the same um, durability that we have with traditional method of construction. But, you know, in some way also we are going to increment the, uh, the durability of the saddle, especially in a, in a world that is going more towards sustainability and towards, uh, you know, uh, a less product uh, changing during the, the cycle phase of the project itself. We did all the main tests that we also we are doing on the same uh, traditional saddle. Uh, in our company, we have different tools, different machines. For example, we have uh, a machine that can uh, provide the UV aging of the saddle. So the saddle, the padding will stay for three hundred hours in this machine, and it will replicate thousands of days of exposure to the sun. And also in that case. We haven't seen any damaging on the saddle or any uh, color decoloration on on the surface of the of the padding. So we are in line with our standards. We have, for example, climatic chambers where we leave the saddle for about 12 days in this climatic chamber, and during those 12 days. You can see how the saddle react in different kind of weather condition from uh, humidity that starts from zero to 80%, also in terms of temperature, and um, uh, they are going from below 20 to up 60 in centigrade, so in the European standard. And also we have a stress test where we have some uh, seat post clamped on the saddle with a weight that constantly moving on the saddle to some way, uh, see how we'll react on the movement of the movement of the rider on the same padding. So all those tests are proven positive and in some way even better than traditional foam. Uh, traditional foam, for example, has a certain density when it's new. When it's new, but after many hours of rides, it uh, it has a different density. It will change how you react. It won't get back on the original shape after many hours, while the mechanical property of the new 3D printed padding are actually better compared to any traditional foam. So we expect that the saddle, yes, right now is a little bit more expensive than a traditional saddle, but it will last longer and it will provide a better experience in terms of comfort.
0: Uh, Speaking of the long-term, I guess sort of just the longevity of these things in general, um, Another thing that we've always wondered about, uh, and this is something that I've I've wondered about myself, um, given sort of the, the open nature of the of that lattice structure, how the heck are you supposed to keep these things clean? Well, uh, in uh, in my opinion, it's
1: actually more easy to have it de- de- saddle clean because, for example, the padding is open, uh, so if everything in some way could enter in the, the cells of the padding, could be easily got out, get out with just simply uh, water. You know, um, I remember that when I, I was in California testing the very first saddle, I merged the saddle in a basket of mud, something that was impossible to replicate in real life. And with just some water, it will get clean in a very a small amount of time, a few seconds and the saddle is brand new.
2: And these are all questions that we ask our customers like very early on is, you know, who is the end user? How is this gonna be written or tested? Um, how is this gonna be cleaned? What is kind of the end market that you're targeting? Because then there's certain things we can do on the design side, for instance, like what Alex is talking about having this open cell structure instead of covering it with some sort of printed skin or just understanding how this part is the goal of performance, there are different things we can do on the design side, whether that's changing the ladder structure, whether it's changing the design, whatever it may be. Really early on, we start to ask our customers, you know, what are your assembly goals? What type of shell is this going to be assembled to? Um, Who's going to be the target rider? How many hours are people going to be riding? Things like that. And then together we do... You know a lot of the design side of things so that alex and his team can then test these you know to extensive extensive standards to make sure we're checking all of the boxes in terms of how this needs to perform
0: um these have been out for i think a couple of years now right um so has anything changed with the 3d printed structure of these from when they were first introduced have you made any sort of you know running changes or anything like that to improve any aspect of performance or durability
1: uh, actually, not from from our side, nothing has changed from the very first setup to the last one. Uh, so we wanted to see if you know we needed to make sure the parameters were correct during the the first months of introduction, uh, because you know when you introduce new technology, you expect feedbacks from the market. But the feedbacks were so positive that we. Changing our mind in modification of parameters in terms of uh, structures of the lattices, in terms of the divisions of the zones. So the customer was so happy um, that we decided not to change anything.
2: And that was one of the fun parts. I mean, with the physique team, they came to Redwood City right before the design was locked. So Carbon is based out of Redwood City, just south of San Francisco. And the physique team came and spent two weeks in our office. We set up um, kind of a studio upstairs where they had training bikes and they would come and test the saddle during the day. They would go out and ride test it, you know, go out, actually ride it for hours, come back and do pressure mapping tests that afternoon and evening. Our design engineers would make changes based on that feedback. We would print that saddle overnight and they would do it again the next day. And so what could have taken a couple of months by the time we were sending things back and forth and testing, we did this two-week design sprint with the physique team where they really gave us so much great rider feedback, testing feedback, and together we could make these changes, iterate, and get the next one tested the next day. And um, that really allowed us to move quickly, but it also allowed the data to just be really, really heavily driven by performance feedback and by rider testing and for us to then see, you know, every detail of these parameters that we needed to be honing in on.
0: Uh, speaking of that development process, Alex, I'm wondering if you were to try and develop a new saddle using these traditional foams. I mean, you know, Kelly mentioned that you could, you know, provide feedback and then make a change, print it overnight, and then test it again. Uh, you can make these really rapid changes and then test everything in, in real time almost. Um, With a traditional foam, what what, what does the normal process look like for that, and what sort of timeline are you normally working at?
1: Well, um, I think this question is key uh, in the introduction of the technology for us. As Kelly mentioned, thanks to this technology, we can iterate faster. So if I should translate all the iteration that we did for the 3D printed padding into the timeline that we can be considered for a traditional foam probably will two three, four years to make all those iterations that we did in just one month. because if you think about it, when you're needed to change the shape of a foam, you need to change maybe modification to a mold and modification to molds require times two, three, four weeks. then go back to the to the lab, test again, make modification and you are still you know losing one month. What we did with the technology is to make maybe 100 iteration, even more in a very small amount of time. And then you are very focused on that project because your energy are focused on that project. You're not waiting four weeks. Then, okay, let me try again. What was the previous iteration? Because I forgot the feeling that I got on the old saddle. Now you have all different iteration. You can test it during the same ride. Swap, swap saddles in the same ride and see how it reacts differently and then, you know, give to the, uh, the printer different kind of parameters and have something new the day after. That's, that's key in the acceleration of the technology and to get in, uh, on, in the market with a product that is more precise,
0: more closer to the initial idea of the project. I mean, so from a designer's point of view, it really sounds like this is kind of a dream come true then, right? Yeah, exactly.
2: It's a big piece of why people, a lot of people talk about making these, you know, parts that can't be made with traditional manufacturing that are higher performing and cannot otherwise be made. But the other side of it is it also just allows uh, customers to bring products to market more quickly, to iterate and to take this data driven approach where you can make the smallest changes based on the data that you're receiving, the feedback that you're getting, get the next iteration out the door, get that feedback and, and have this full digital workflow of, you know, what's the previous iteration look like? What are the zones we're changing? What area are we adjusting? And so in addition to kind of creating these these really high-performing parts, you're also able to move so much so much faster than you are with traditional manufacturing.
0: Another question that certainly always comes up with these sorts of saddles is why are they so expensive? Um, I, think the, I think people are familiar uh, with the idea that 3D printing something does actually take a fair bit of time, um, but is it, also, like, is, is it also energy intensive? Like, wh- why, why does it cost so much?
2: It's a good question, and, and we are um, focused on a premium market as of kind of what we're looking at today and and a premium kind of foam replacement space. Um, But the cost is really driven by what the final uh, part it looks like. And so as you start to think about a cost, um, you really have to look at how is that part printing? How many parts can you get on a platform at a time? How much material are they using? Are they using a really dense kind of energy absorbing structure or is it a more sparse lattice? And so the cost is purely driven by the end customer's design. Um, That's kind of where our focus is today. Uh, We always are kind of looking to see, you know, are there things we can do to speed up the print process? Are there, um, we work really closely with our customers to understand what are their target costs? What is the target cost to bring this to market at tier one? What is the target cost to bring this to market at tier two? And then the way that we work with them is uh, we we really focus on the design side of things. And so then we, we look to physique to say, you know, if this is your target cost, we can start to advise on things like the printability. You know, what do you need to do to have four saddles per platform or five saddles per platform or three, whatever it may be. Um, and so it really is kind of working with our customers uh, to understand what are their targets and how can we kind of get to those together through changes on the design side of things. I don't know, Alex, if you want to
1: add anything else to that. No, uh, no it's correct uh, what you're saying uh, for sure. Also, um, you must keep in mind that in in any industry, the new technology at the beginning has much higher cost than traditional technology that you, that has been used for many, many years. I expect for sure that in the future, with the volume, you know, increasing, there might be benefits also on the consumer side in terms of price point.
0: What What does the future look like for 3D printed stuff like this in terms of cost reduction moving forward? Like, what would what would have to happen for the price for these things to come down?
2: It's a good question. Um, it's something Carbon's always focused on: is how do we make this more and more readily available to you know every market and every end consumer? So it's something we're always focused on. You know, what's it going to take, both from the printing side, the material cost, every you know, even kind of the the design side of things. Um, our goal is really to put more and more design control and freedom into the hands of you know our customers, designers, and engineering teams, and allow them to iterate and bring these products to market. Um, and the cost side of things is always something, always something we're focused on and always something we're working with our customers to understand what are the targets, how are we going to bring this product and have it see the light of day, and what can we do together to get there, both uh, kind of on the design and the cost side of things.
0: I would imagine scalability is is an issue as well, um, because it sounds like you really just can't make very many of these things at at one time. I guess it's sort of dependent on, as you were saying, Kelly, how many of these things you can fit on a platform. and. Is how many printers you have and that sort of thing um so how scalable is this method of production in general um and i guess i would guess that that those things are are kind of related right like if you are able to scale up and if you're able to make more of these things at a time would is you know is that one of the things that would potentially bring the price down
2: yeah and that's actually exactly what we're doing that's that's a huge focus so 3d printing has been around for, for forever for years But what we're trying to do at Carbon and what we're doing today is how do we bring this to mass production? So how do we, you know, help customers use this to change the way they make products and to simplify supply chains? And we're doing exactly that. And so scalability is actually something we've kind of solved with Adidas. Adidas is making well into the millions of pairs of midsoles per year. We have kind of high volume contract manufacturers all around the world. So Um, Taking a step back, carbon is not a manufacturer. So carbon does not do any of the kind of manufacturing for our end customers. Uh, We do all of the kind of design and development work. We partner with our customers to help them get these great products made and these designs locked and ready for production. But then we have partners around the world who have whole fleets of our machines, some people with one machine and some people with hundreds of machines. And they are expert manufacturers. They have automated these processes. They are scaling really, really quickly. They are working really closely with our customers to understand seasonality, to understand, you know, how many parts do you need per year? And then they're automating these processes and getting more and more printers so that we can scale really quickly. Um, we're doing that with physique. We're doing that with Adidas. I mean, all of our customers are seeing such great success in the market that they are growing significantly faster than they expected and our manufacturers are able to keep up with that
0: um alex are you able to to provide any insight as to uh, sort of how long it takes to build a saddle with a traditional foam versus one of your 3d printed models or you know for example can you can you give some insight into sort of how many regular saddles you can make in a day for example versus a printed one oh in terms of complete
1: saddle assemble in our factories is that what you mean i guess i'm just trying to get a
0: handle as to how much time is involved with making a traditional saddle versus how much time is involved with having with with making a, a printed saddle then like what's what, what are we looking at here for a difference well it's um
1: it's more complicated than that i mean it's um you you cannot uh, consider time in the assembling phase, uh, because for sure in that case you have different parts that can combine differently uh, according to each model of the saddle. So it's not only the time that you need to print the saddle and then glue it on on the shell itself. You also consider, um, for example, the material used on the base, because if you are talking about carbon based saddle, then it's gonna take longer, even if you are if you have a uh, padding 3D printed because in that case you need more time for cre- the creation, the production of the, of the shell and also for the rail. So there are lots of components that you need to take into the account. But if you think about uh, just the padding itself, um, I think that could be very similar in terms of printing time, in terms of foaming the traditional saddle, but is how you develop the saddle, actually, that is changing the time. So in a, in a more traditional way, more traditional industrial method, when you are design the saddle from the first drawings to the final product, in a traditional way, you can at least wait a couple of years. You know, the saddle seems a very simple uh, component, but actually it's not that easy because you have different materials that needs to work together and be assembled together and also you need to consider that the padding as uh, a main um, attachment point in some way to the uh, to the rider where the each rider's individuality has some peculiarity that needs to be focused you know so you need to work a lot on providing the right amount of comfort with um, a digital foam actually the amount of time that you need From the first drawing to the final product, I would say it's half of it because you still need a lot of time to create the shell and the rail, the combination of those material, but you save a lot of time designing the padding, testing the padding and having the right padding for the riders.
0: Okay. Um, What about sustainability? Um, Because that is something that is at the forefront of a lot of people's minds now. again having having seen how the traditional saddles are built uh, and how those are made um, I wouldn't say there's necessarily a ton of waste, but there are of course you know some chemicals involved with you know expanding the foams and um you know trimming covers and that sort of thing um what what does the sustainability uh aspect look like for three d printing because uh, it does seem like while i'm I'm guessing Kelly, you can certainly provide more insight on this. it does seem like it might be more energy intensive, but it certainly seems like there's a lot less a lot less waste involved.
2: Yeah, I think it's twofold. Um, one is on the materials front, and one is absolutely on like the waste side of things. That is a huge focus for carbon. You will hear carbon talking about it. It's something in all, in all of our kind of all hands meeting. It comes up is you know how do we how do we get these materials to be fully recyclable? What is the roadmap to getting there look like? And so that's a really big focus for us. It's something our team is working on day in and day out is, you know, how do we make these materials more and more sustainable? But then on the other side of things is is exactly that, is how do we limit waste? And so our manufacturers are really focused on, you know, how do we make sure that we're not uh, wasting any material? How do we make sure that as you kind of are cleaning these parts, you're reclaiming any of this material? And so that is the huge focus as well. And so you are making sure that any material that uh, is being used in the saddle, we're we're limiting that waste to kind of as, as little as possible. So it's something you'll continue to hear Carbon talking more and more about. It's something our manufacturers are really focused on as well. Um, and hopefully kind of over the next few years, that's something that uh, we make a big dent on is, is how do we continue to make these materials more sustainable. And I think you're exactly right. It is one of the first questions that all of our customers are asking. It is a focus for every industry, every type of customer. People want to know, you know, how, if we're going to change the way we make products, in addition to having these really high performing products, are we also going to be able to say, you know, this is a more sustainable process and, and that's our goal.
0: Okay, cool. Um Kelly, what else is on the development horizon for, for this sort of technology as far as bike products are concerned? Um, because it does seem like this sort of thing could potentially replace, I guess, just about anything that's currently made out of a conventional foam or some sort of polymer polymer material, like, I don't know, like shoe insoles or grips or something like that. So what, what else are you looking at? Because I'd imagine that there are all sorts of applications that you're considering.
2: Yeah, um, I will answer this and then I'll punt it over to Alex to see if he can give you any insight into what the physique team's thinking, but um, that's exactly right. So we have realized that we have a superpower and foam replacement and specifically in areas where performance is a big driver of the application. So looking to create a higher performing part. And so you start to see that, you see that in the saddle market and we've seen You know, great success in that market, but also in other areas, anywhere where um, you need additional performance. And so we spend a lot of time in impact applications. And so we have helmets in the market to date with uh, Riddell and CCM, both in the uh, football and hockey space. Um, We have a lot of people looking into body protection, everything from, you know, elbow and knee protectors to back and chest protectors um we have people looking uh at backpacks and applications around kind of providing more support as you're um going on these kind of long journeys out with wearing something all the time and so um anything really where there's a performance element we are looking at and uh a lot of that is tied to the bike market we're spending a lot of time you know how do we continue innovating in the saddle space but also what comes next is it grips is it padding um, what else kind of, what are these other key touch points where performance really is a driver of what our customers
0: are looking to solve? Alex, any hints from, from your end, as far as what you might be looking at? Well, I think that you might expect the range of saddle with this technology
1: be expanded in the near future. That's what I can share so far.
0: Mm, okay. So, so cryptic and yet exactly what I expected. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, in the meantime, I will continue to hold out for for my glow in the dark saddle, or or pink or purple. But I guess that'll Gotta wait for get a wait for the for the chemistry to catch up. I guess. Um, well, I think that that's about all I have for you today. Um, so I wanna I wanna thank all of you for for being on this show. Um, certainly, thanks for your time. I know uh, this is certainly a, a, a busy time for everybody. Well, and, and in the meantime, I'm certainly interested to see where, where this goes, because I dare say we are going to be seeing more 3D printed stuff in the future and not less. So thank you again for being on the show. Thank you.
2: Thanks, James.
0: All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with the folks at Physique and Carbon. If you have any further questions, feel free to leave them in the comment section on the associated written article on cyclingtips.com. Uh, you can also send a message to at on Twitter or Instagram. Or, of course, if you're a Bella Club member, you can always find me on our private Slack channel, too. Otherwise, if you enjoyed this week's episode, please give us a thumbs up or a positive review on iTunes. It really does help us quite a bit. And if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to the Nerd Alert podcast so you never miss another episode. Be sure to tell your friends about Nerd Alert because we certainly like spreading the nerdiness. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.